Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, we are going to continue on in our sermon series on sermon series on the parables. We're going to we're going to be in this for a while. And um, this morning, uh, I want to start off with a question. Maybe, if I can get to my sermon. All right. Let me start off with a question. Uh, actually, a quote. Um, Brene Brown, uh, if you've been here long, you know she's one of my favorites. Uh, Brene Brown one time said this quote, that uh, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. What do you think about that? I'm going to let that rumble around in you a little bit. Probably you're like, well, okay, but hold on. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Maybe a little bit of nuance, a little bit of explanation, a little bit of background. What's she talking about? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave that in the back of your mind. I did this one time. I told a joke back when I was less into the Enneagram and more into Myers-Briggs. I told a joke, and somebody who was a very high S, which is sensing, said, her husband said, hey, that was a good sermon today. And then she said, I, di- I couldn't hear the rest of the sermon because you told a joke in the first minute, and I didn't get it. And I spent the rest of the time like trying to figure out what the joke was. And I was like, oh. This is how my wife and I communicate. We are polar opposites, and I... Anyway, so I'm going to let that sit and rumble around, and I'm not going to explain it, and here's, the, here's, here's why. Uh, get used to that, because we're in the parables, and, and Jesus doesn't always give us the straightforward answers when we get into the parables. Sometimes he just lets something sit. We're gonna, this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at kind of the granddaddy uh, or the mother, depending on your gender preference of, uh, of analogies here, of, of all parables... Uh, which is the parable of the sower. It's the first parable that Jesus brings out in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He he kicks off all of his explanation of speaking in parables with the parable of the sower. And really, this is going to set the tone for the rest of the parables that that follow it. Um, And and I'm going to give some context, because once you see the parable of the sower, and then where he goes from there, it's it can really be enlightening. Um, the elders, whenever we do a sermon series, we'll find books to read and commentaries. Usually we just go to commentaries, but the parables, there's so many books uh, on parables, and, and there's so many takes and so many, and it's kind of glorious to the fact that Jesus is, I, I feel like Jesus is going, look at how many volumes you've written on these, and everybody has their own take and their own way of doing it. Uh, the guy that we use to help kind of walk through this uh, with the setup uh, it's a book called Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. The guy's name is Robert Farrar uh, Capon. And listen, I, if you read him or if you know of him, I disagree with some of his uh, overarching assumptions about faith and where his ultimate conclusions are. But I found it fascinating the way that he went about looking at the parables. 
Uh, and it's really um, helpful. And all that to say that oftentimes, a lot of times, it's very possible and probably should be possible to find value uh, in certain things that people say, even if we don't agree with everything they say, right? That's a good practice to get into uh, and to discern. Um, but what he does, what Capon will do is he's going to lay out the discussion of, of parables from the standpoint of Jesus uh, as a human in this role of Messiah, growing in wisdom and stature, we see in that, that Jesus grew as a human, what he knew and what he didn't know, how he knew that if, what, was he just like, did he know everything is the way it was going to lay out or did he grow in the way that he was teaching? And in his parables, um, he puts it forth as uh, divided into three sections. His parables as focused on the kingdom. Uh, and so a lot of these early parables we'll see as him talking about this kingdom of God and giving analogies and parables about how the kingdom of God's going to come in. And he'll do that up until uh, roughly the feeding of the 5,000. The reason he chooses the feeding of the 5,000 is because it's in every gospel. And there's something that happens there where Jesus feeds all of these people and they all come up to him and go, you should be king. We need to make you king. And it's like Jesus goes, okay, uh, no, no. Um, we, need a different, we need a new strategy <laughs> on how to make this known. And so then he switches to more of just grace, that the parables, the kingdom of God will come and will bring this sense of radical grace. And he continues on with that. And these are, again, these are loose themes until he gets to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, like the gloves are off, it's judgment. And the parables are pretty in your face and they're pretty hardcore and there's little room, there's not much wiggle room uh, when he gets there. And I love the way he does this. Here's why. Because this sets up the parables. There is a theme that Jesus is bringing through the parables, and it's not just these random popcorn moral lessons that Jesus is throwing out here and there. Jesus is teaching the same thing over and over and over again in different ways and different means, but all of these parables are, are really serving to bring out that Jesus himself is ushering in this new kingdom. Um, and so the first parables that we'll categorize as kingdom parables, which I think is, is helpful, Jesus is making known the coming of the kingdom of God, and he's doing it in very interesting ways. Basically, the, 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 the context that we give here, Jesus is walking and he's teaching uh, he has already performed some miracles. He's already given some sermons. He's given his most famous sermon, which is probably more of a collection of teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he has called all of his disciples, and they're following him. Uh, and then he gets up in the morning, and he begins to teach, because that's what rabbis do. They teach. And then as people gathered, he, he got out into a boat. This would have probably been like an, a natural amphitheater, so he gets out a little bit from the shore uh, and he's teaching and he's telling stories as everybody just gathers on the shore and listens. Um, and, then, and then he starts, he starts in and he, he doesn't really give a context, context to it. He just says, a sower goes out to sow. Okay. The image that Jesus gives is, is a farmer going and, and spreading seeds. Now, uh, was this a good farmer? We don't know because he's throwing seeds on the path, right? And he seems to not have a very good aim. He's just kind of throwing seeds everywhere. 
And some is going to fall on the path, and some is going to fall amongst the rocks, and some is going to fall, and there's going to be thorns that are coming up in there, and then, and then some falls on good soil. All right? Now, let me give you a caution. We've probably heard this. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this a million times. And you're probably already like, right, right, well, so we know how this goes, right? Um, so let me, let me kind of rock that boat a little bit. What, what is being said here? What does all this mean? Who, who is the sower? What exactly is the seed that's being sown? We may have some sealed tight answers. We may even have faces that go along with those answers. Um, and then we probably have really never thought another thing about it. Familiarity can be an enemy sometimes. Familiarity can be good, but familiarity can also be an enemy. And so what I want to do with this is maybe produce a little less certainty and maybe more, hopefully, prayerfully, fertile soil. Not that I can produce that. We'll get into that. Here's the problem. When we come to these with these, right, this is what it means, this is how we do it. The parables, I don't think the parables are necessarily meant for us to come away with our sealed tight answers and assigning roles. I think the parables are meant for us to walk away and go, huh, I get it, but I also have lots of questions. I think I get the gist. I think they're designed for us to walk away thinking and meditating and examining and, and wondering. And then Jesus explains the receptivity of the seed. Right? He tells, in, in the passage we covered last week, he tells us um, some people are going to get it. In fact, he tells the disciples, you are ones that are going to get it. And then he has to turn around and explain to them like, what they're supposed to get, <laughs> which I think is funny. The disciples continue to set a lesson for us today in that God can use fools. Um, so Jesus explains the receptivity of the seed, right? Uh, the path. It's like hardened hearts who hear the kingdom of God and, and don't understand it, don't get it, maybe don't care. Rocky ground, hearts that get it and grow up quickly and all kinds of excitement, but it's choked out. It's not, it's not, there's no depth. And as soon as a smidgen of suffering or, or pain comes, it's gone. Thorns, they hear it. Maybe it grows well, but there's enough around, there's enough distraction, there's enough other things that become more important than the thorns and they choke it out. And you have good soil and the good soil grows and it grows over time and it bears fruit, sometimes up to a hundredfold. Now, what's our immediate reaction to this? What category do we immediately put this in? I'm willing to bet, and you don't have to show your hands, we won't do by confession, I'm willing to, pet, to bet most of us put this in the category of who's going to heaven and who's not. Maybe? Who's in and who's not? Yeah. Who's a real Christian? And who, who's not? Um, and, and, and that, certainly there may be an implication there, but that takes this completely out of its original context and, and puts it into our context. 
This is what's, this is what's tricky when we talk about context of gospel writers, and this is where we're going to have to cover this a lot. There's three different contexts that we have to be aware of. There is what Jesus is actually saying and to the people that are in the crowd right there, right? So who is Jesus talking to? What's the environment? Is he just talking to the Jewish people? Are there Gentiles mixed in there? What's the context that Jesus exactly is talking to right there? Then we have different gospel writers who have written down what Jesus has said, and there's, they also have a purpose in writing those things down. And that's post-resurrection when people are knowing what's going on. And so we have that context of why did this gospel writer put this here? Um, and that's important. Uh, this is in all, all three of the synoptic, synoptic gospels. Um, so we'll test your knowledge a little bit. Who was Mark writing to? Anybody remember? We went through Mark a couple years ago. Good. All right. Mark was writing to new Gentile converts in Rome. That's who Mark was writing to. Luke, what's Luke famous for? He's a doctor. Luke is writing on a research grant from Theophilus, and he's writing down the history of the accounts of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, for dear Theophilus. And he's writing in that, and he writes Acts, the history of the church. Matthew, who's Matthew writing to? The Jews. Matthew's writing to the Jews. And then John's writing to the Greeks, and he doesn't include any of this stuff. And what's great, we're more like the Greeks, all right? Um, the, John doesn't have parables. He, doesn't, he just doesn't uh, in, include uh, any of the parables in there. But that's important to know. It's important to know that context. And chances are good that we immediately, we, we put this into a thing that we can understand. Uh, the sower is Jesus, and the seeds that he's spreading are the gospel, right? And sometimes uh, this will be a reference if, uh, depending on how old you are. Sometimes we have a tendency to uh, smurf the gospel in our day. Does that reference make sense? Like smurf could be interchanged for like a billion different words in that cartoon and it was basically meaningless. And sometimes we just gospel this and gospel this. And so we say, Jesus is spreading the gospel. What's the gospel mean? Well, you know, how to get to heaven. Right? But we don't, we don't know. We're not told necessarily who is who. Um, uh, who the sower is or, or who the seed is. The seed is the word of the kingdom. John describes Jesus himself as the word of the kingdom. So the sower could be God and, and the seed could be Jesus. And Jesus went to all different kinds of people. Uh, there's, he doesn't really necessarily give us uh, all of that. Jesus doesn't necessarily define, and, and he's not necessarily giving us this, necessarily, this message of salvation as much as he is talking about ushering in this kingdom of God, which certainly we would say contains salvation, but it's not a narrowly defined thing. But Jesus does start with this parable, and then he keeps pushing forward. And then he, he, and he says, whoever has ears to hear, which is cryptic, right? And apparently the disciples have ears to hear and they still don't get it and Jesus still has to explain it to them. Um, and, and not everybody's going to get his message and not everybody's going to like his message. And the seed, the seed is always good. The seed is never incomplete. It's in abundance, but it's the soil. The way that the soil receives the seed 
And what does that mean? And there's a lot here. We, we would say uh, Apollos, right, uh, 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 Paul planted and Apollos watered, but God made it grow, right? That's, that's Paul in 1 Corinthians. Um, we would say that it has to be the Holy Spirit preparing the hearts, but then what, what role do we play? What's our, what's our participation in that? Are you responsible for being good soil? Is it God alone that makes you good soil? We'll come back to that. Jesus opens up with this parable, and he starts off all of his parables by announcing the kingdom of God and saying, there's going to be a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of types of people who will not get this, who will not want this. And that's not usually the way you kick off a kingdom. Right? When's the last time a politician has said, there's going to be a lot of you that don't like this campaign? I would, man, I, I don't care who it was, I'd vote for that guy in a second. Or that woman in a second. Like, I don't care. Somebody started off with that kind of honesty, I'd be like, I'm listening to what they have to say. Uh, and then if they brought in, like, doing away with daylight savings, I'm in. <laughs> I may have, I'm, I'm not that single issue of a voter, but... Um, Matthew, he follows up this parable. He talks about the parable of the sower, and then he follows this up with the parable of the weeds. Farmer plants in good soil, and it grows up, but somebody else sneaks in and plants weeds among it, amongst the other seeds, and they begin to choke it out. And then he goes from there to the mustard seed, right? Parable of the mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. It's seemingly nothing. But man, when it grows up, grows up into the mustard tree, I don't, big, big plant. It's huge in the garden, apparently, and produces fringes. And then, uh, and then he talks about leaven, right? It just, just takes a little bit of leaven in the flour, and, and before you know it, you just leave it sit there, and before you know it, the whole thing is leaven. Or it's like this guy who finds, a, 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 he finds this hidden treasure in a field. And he's like, I can't believe I found this. And he goes and he sells everything else and he buys that field. Mark. In Mark, he talks about kind of the audacity of this, this kingdom of God. If you, if you find a light, and if you light a lamp, you don't light a lamp and put it in the corner. You don't cover it with something. It, it's, it's right there in the middle and becomes... Like, it, it may be small, but it's powerful. In all of these parables that he, that he goes out, he starts with this parable of the sower. And he's saying things here that it's not going to sit well with some people. It's not going to sit well with everybody. Um, again, he has to let the disciples in on the secret that he has apparently already let them in on. Uh, and, and there's so much going on here. One of the books I was reading to prepare to preach on the parables, uh, gave this saying, and I thought it was, I thought it was helpful. <laughs> uh, he said, preaching on the parables is a young pastor's dream and an old pastor's nightmare. And I thought, yeah, okay, so this means I'm becoming an old pastor. Now, lest we equate that one-to-one -one with wisdom, maybe a little bit, but certainly with experience, you start to see maybe there's a little bit more. I wonder, I wonder if too often, if we're tempted to look at the parables and just the whole kingdom of God, I wonder if we're, if we're, 
if we've been fed into looking at it more like a side or as a position uh, or as precision, kind of the who's in and who's out type of thing. When we go back to this context, the people in this context, when they were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for a champion. They were looking for a hero. They were looking for a warrior coming in on a white horse and overthrowing the oppressive Roman government. And what does Jesus give them? A seed. It's like a seed. It's hard to see it working. It seems small. It's not like this broad side of a barn that you can all pick out and we all know. And it's, you're either on this side or you're on this side. It's, it's a seed. Um, when my youngest daughter came home from preschool, this was several years ago, uh, on the last day of preschool, they gave her uh, the bean in the wet paper towel. Everybody go through that? Was that part of growing up for everybody? Yeah. They give you a bean and a wet paper towel. And, and then... Um, you're supposed to plant it, right? You're supposed to put it in the ground. And she came home, and uh, it sat moistened, uh, but on the counter for a couple of days because we have four kids, and they're all coming home with stuff, and it was the end of school, so back off. Uh, but eventually, she bugged enough, and we're like, okay, 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 let's go, let's go plant this. So a couple days of anticipation and this excitement, and I got a solo cup uh, and put some, put some soil in it, and we went outside, and we dug down a little bit, and we put the seed in and we covered it up. And with all this anticipation, you have never seen a more disappointed face in your life. Where is it? Yeah, honey, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It takes time. You put it in the soil and it disappears. And you can't always see it. And you, and you wait. And you wait for the burial to bring life. And you wait for what was made invisible to one day again become visible. Sometimes, sometimes we want Jesus as a quick fix. I'll trust you if you get me out of this, 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 and this. Or because you're going to bless me in this area, in this area, in this area. A level of prosperity. Sometimes we trust Jesus as a conspiracy theory so we can explain the world around us and, and, um, and then never actually have to do anything. God's in control. He's working this all out and just watch. This part's going to rise up from over here and this part's going to... And I don't know if you've heard of any of those lately. Sometimes we're just disinterested. It goes under the ground and we're like, I don't have time for that. Sometimes, something I've had happen more than, more than a few times. Um, when people are in need, uh, and man, when people need pastors, you're the most important person in the world until you're not needed anymore. And you pour in and you talk and you sit down and you schedule times and meetings and all this kind of stuff and you try to serve and listen and all that stuff, but then they get the job. 
uh, or they find that relationship uh, or they get out of debt or they, whatever that need is, they get it met and they're like, see ya. It's a term we like to call ghosted. Sometimes God promises suffering in this world. Um, we are given often that the promise of eternity with him is far greater than anything we could possibly suffer here, but most of us don't like suffering. Psalm of Asaph in Psalm 73, Asaph says he almost slips. He remembers the faithfulness of the Lord, but he almost slips uh, because he was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I don't even know how that happens. I told my wife, I think that's me, because I'm skinny on the outside, on the inside. Like, it's, it's deceiving, because I'm not healthy. I'm not healthy with what I put in here. So you can call me fat and sleek. They're, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. So it's easy to go, is it really worth all this? Do we know? Can we really know? Am I giving up a lifetime of pleasure right now for maybe? We had a conversation the other day of, you know, why doesn't God just like come down and make it obvious? Why doesn't he just show up and make it obvious? And, he, and here's the thing. He has. He's done that a couple times, actually. Maybe if he just like would be like a fire by night and a cloud by day. Done that. Why don't you come down and dwell among us? Done that. And, and we still don't get it. We still doubt. Jesus is telling us right off the bat as he's introducing and he's starting to speak in parables, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's not a doorway where you just show up and you arrive. It's not a side. You're either this side or this side. Yes, there's a matter of you that with Jesus or against him, but, but, but here... It's not just an affiliation. It's something that grows in you, that works in you, and works on you, and it's hard to see. Sometimes we can see fruit, right? Sometimes by God's grace, we're actually able to see it, and also by God's grace, some of the other people around us are able to see it and help us point it out. Follow my commands. You're going to start wanting to okay, this is going to become less appetizing and this is going to become more appetizing. That's good. If you have love for one another, that's fruit. If you care for the poor and the outsider, if you bear the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I, I will tell you, love of neighbor for me is a really, really, really strong fruit. That's a fruit that I value highly. How that's carried out and what's the best way to do that, I don't know, but I think that's a pretty big fruit. One thing that I don't, well, we'll get to that. Um, these aren't things you do to earn the kingdom of God and try to demonstrate that you have it. This is what the kingdom of God does in you. This is how it bears fruit in and through you. This is what God produces in you. Um, I have moderately cared about my lawn over the years. Uh, as 
I, I just am like, we got, we're on a corner lot and we got kids running through it all day long and other animals come by and do stuff in my lawn. And, but the older I get, um, the more embarrassed, maybe, maybe some measures of redemptive shame of how my elderly neighbors both have immaculate lawns and then there's mine. Uh, so I'm, I'm starting to go, okay, I should probably care about this more. And so you start, like I've looked up programs, right? Programs to make, I'm not paying for it. That, that, come on. Uh, but, I mean, I'll pay for the programs, but I'm not going to have somebody else come and spray my yard. I can spray my yard. Um, and so I'm looking at programs. And I, the, the stuff that you spray is much more appealing to me than having to walk with stuff that could get washed away and you've got to water it immediately or you have to water it within 48 hours or something and don't do it near the gutters because you're going to kill everybody. And that's too much pressure for me. I like the hose where I can see immediately where it's going. Um, and it's like inha- it's watering as you're spraying. That's two birds, one stone, I think. Um, so I'm starting to care about this stuff. But the one thing every program does is says, you may want to take a soil test. Not may, you need to take a soil test. I read it as you may want to take a soil test. Because you have too many, you have, if you have too many trees in your yard, it eats up the lime and the iron, right? Anybody? Okay, maybe. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, we got trees. We got a lot of trees. Probably it's the lime and the iron. So I'm going to go buy a product that has lime and iron in it. And we're going to put that out. I think that'll fix the problem. And, and so I'm, I'm attacking the, the nuts edge and, and uh, uh, the dandelions and the clover. My goodness, the clover. My wife looks at it and goes, honey, it's green. And I go, yeah, but, but that's not grass. <laughs> So I've read through all this stuff, and I've tried to fix it, all this stuff. I've never actually done a soil test. I've never tested my soil to see what the levels are. There's part of me that just refuses out of pride. I'll figure it out, right? Um, I don't need your science. Uh, here's where it gets, so here's where it gets tricky. Or maybe it's not tricky. Can you make your heart be good soil? How do we prepare to receive the kingdom of God? How do we not become the bad soil? What is that of us? What is, is, what's the participation in that? Can we nurture our, our hearts? Can we water it? Can we, what's our participation in the work of God? Listen, I know we have theologies, and we have lots of theologies set up, and I know I, I can see what, where Scripture talks about both our working out our salvation in fear and trembling. I know where it's the Holy Spirit alone that brings the heart to life. I know all of these things, and I'm just going to tell you flat out, I don't know the deepest intricacies of the way God works. I think that's a profound mystery that leaves me in awe. But I do know that God has given to us to know and practice things to, to labor on, to know Him well, and to pursue Him well. And so really, all, I'm, all I am giving to practice for this is maybe as we, as we head into these other um, parables on seeds and this growth and this introduction of the kingdom, is maybe if we're willing to do a soil test. Most of us are pretty good at naming other people's soils, right? Are we willing to test our, our own yard? There are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of verses all throughout Scripture that deal with um, 
the idea of God's work with the proud or the haughty or the self-righteous. Uh, and I will tell you that it's not good. They don't work well together. Um, and probably the most succinctly stated, James 4, 6 refers to it, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for us to be made humble? Now, does this mean personal integrity? That we, that we in, in our obedience, uh, that we have a personal level of righteousness in seeking obedience? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when it reaches a level of pride and we start looking down on others who are not doing that, it's tricky because then it actually works against us. And at the same time, does this call for love and care of neighbor, sacrificially, loving people, even people that we may radically disagree with? The gospel, like no other, makes that call. Absolutely, that is bearing the fruit of Jesus. But not so much that our hearts actually turn cold and accusatory toward God and we throw out His Word and His commandments and say, well, I just do whatever I want. No, no, no. That's where it actually becomes pride. I talked, opened up Brene Brown's words at the beginning. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. I would, yes, maintain certainty in God's faithfulness and promises, I believe will produce good soil. However, this is where it gets tricky. Most of the time, it's not necessarily our certainty of God's promises and faithfulness that we're wrestling with. Most of the time, we are wrestling with the certainty of my position and where I stand and what I am concerned about. Most of our certainty issues are within our, ourselves. Either, either the certainty of pride and arrogance or the certainty of like self-condemnation. I know God can love and forgive anybody, but probably not me. And I think those will produce hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil. Um, a couple years ago, when I f was first starting to attempt, I, I originally bought shoes that had the little poker holes in them to mow the lawn in. I'll just tell you right now, don't buy those because they actually don't do anything. I should have read that before I bought them. Um, and they're really hard to walk with. And you look like a moron out mowing your lawn. Neighbors are like, is that guy okay? Um, so I rented one of those, those huge aerator machines. And while I had it, I did like three of my neighbor's lawn because it gets going and you're just like along for the ride. Uh, and um, it just comes through and it tears up your yard. And it's supposed to give the lawn space to breathe and all the packed down from kids and animals running all over. And it's supposed to loosen up the soil and tear through it and allows the seed to get down deep and the water and the nutrients to get down deep in the soil and it, and it softens it. Um, and today, less, less seed fall on packed soil with our pr presumptuous minds and, and what we already know and we've heard this before. Really, all I wanted to do for all of us is just to maybe aerate a little bit. The, the question that we are going to be asking through this um, 
in the midst of like every accusation that's out there, every single sentence, every thought that you, that you get out immediately being met with, with uh, an argument or a what about and all this stuff, um, can we have the courage to ask this question? Am, am I willing to accept life on God's terms? Am I accepting life on God's terms? Am I willing to see my own needs, to test my own soil, my own issues, my own fears, my own sin, my own agendas, before I peg everybody else in what their soil is doing, or really even before I peg my own? Am I willing to just let this work on me? So that, hopefully and prayerfully, the kingdom of God takes deep root. That when we read the scripture, we're not necessarily reading it and saying, here's good arguments. But we can read it and say, God, expose me and my need for you. Expose me where I'm trying to manipulate this and do my own thing. Expose me where I'm not listening to you because I'm so like heavily condemning myself. Can we, can we allow this to mess with us so that the kingdom of God may take deep root and bear good fruit in the world? And you know, you know what else good fruit produces? More seed. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, uh, I pray that we would invite you to... to um, mess with us uh, in our presumptions. And sometimes, sometimes we can have firm answers, but they need to be reaffirmed. Um, sometimes firm answers make for a, a more harder and, and calloused soil. And so our prayer, which is, which is tricky. I, I love how you use gardening throughout Scripture. It's tricky. We're not asking that you totally turn us over and, and send us into a spiral we're just asking that you make our hearts fertile ground. May we not be calloused and prideful by years and years and years of study that may turn into pride and arrogance and more arguments about who's right and who's wrong than about fruit of the Spirit. May we not be calloused by so many wounds and hurts that we just can't take anymore and so we cover it up and stop and fake our way through whatever and, and stop actually engaging and encountering you or our indifference or material things. We ask that you would give us fertile hearts and that we would be faithful to and, and really vulnerable to participate and trust yet again. Because I don't like being messed with. You seem to keep doing it. So I pray that the kingdom of God would take deep root. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.